we finished the Ten Commandments. Coming off the heels of the Ten Commandments, um, what's going to happen next? You know, what, what happened to Israel? They got the Ten Commandments and, oh, what's, what's their response to that? Oh, great, we got God's law and now we're going to live righteously and as he has commanded us, as he has asked us, right? No. No, it didn't happen. It didn't happen then. And so Moses here gave them the commandments and now he is going to give Again, the next generation, a reminder of what the response was back then and kind of key them to consider what ought their response be even now. So that's what we're going to look at here in the first couple of verses. So, uh, David, would you read uh, chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, verses 22 and 23? These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. Okay. The Ten Commandments. When you look back at the Ten Commandments, was there anything in them that was remarkable? You mean out yes. of the ordinary, like something that they wouldn't normally think about doing? Or, I mean, even in our day where we go, wow, that's, that's incredible. Oh, what insight. Okay, why, why do you I say, would say it? I don't think that anybody or anyone has the idea that says, I'm going to worship a God. And that's the very first commandment. You shall have no other God. This is a real God whose fingerprints wrote those tablets. Yeah. And they hear the mountain yeah. waking. How is this light? Yeah. You just go up there now and sort of make up a story. Could. It's extraordinary. The whole event is extraordinary, but looking at the commandments, I think everybody's got a, a God-shaped hole. I mean, every... Paul tells the Romans, God's attributes, God is known by all men, and they don't know him because they suppress the truth. Isn't there another verse that says that God has written his law upon the hearts of yeah. men? Yeah. So I, I go, you know, the Sabbath. Oh, oh, Sabbath day. Well, I mean, we all know we need rest. You can't just keep going. You need to... I mean, that, that, that's, that's almost natural. I mean, don't commit adultery. You know, as a husband and wife, you, you go, man, uh, yeah, don't kill. Yeah. But God makes, the, makes these all plain to us. Um, these are the truth. Will you heed it? Will the next generation heed it? 
And so the response is Moses starts out by saying, God spoke to you and he added no more. We talked about this earlier and that is that he speaks, we listen. I don't have to add anything to it. When we study, we don't study to write new stuff. Writing new stuff is not bad, but if we are writing the new stuff, it is typically in relationship to what this says. To better understand it and for us to better apply it to our lives. God spoke what he spoke. That's all he spoke. And he wrote them, as Arnold pointed out, he wrote them on tablets of stone. And his declaration to them. God spoke to whom? All of them. He spoke to all of them. As soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. So all, the, all of Israel was gathered around the mountain after the Ten Commandments were written as Moses comes down the mountain. Okay. And so, is this a dream? Or is this reality? What senses of theirs were affected? Okay. I would say I would also say their eyes. They heard. <clears throat> their heart, their mind. They saw. They heard. They saw. Did they feel? They trembled with fear. They trembled. The mountain rumbled. So I mean, I'm sure you've been around places where there's a loud bass, and you can feel it. Uh, earth when the earth quakes I mean if you've ever been in an earthquake it's it's the first your first real earthquake is pretty surreal uh, I can't even imagine what seven would feel like uh, that that Alaska just dealt with so they felt this they heard his voice out of the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire okay so It was, it was real. This is a real historic event that took place. It wasn't one guy's declaration. Thousands upon thousands saw what took place. Kara, would you read uh, 24 through 26, please? And you said, Behold the Lord our God shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still lives. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. Okay.
what did the Israelites think they had experienced? Was there any doubt in their mind? No. No. There's, there is no doubt. There's no question about this. Um, I, I, I can't imagine there was a, a skeptical individual there. You know, there, there's not the jaded guy going back, going, ah, I don't know how they're doing that. That's just a volcano there. Um, now, do you think there was knowledge of volcanic activity back then? Yeah. Probably. I, I, would, I would suspect so. So... Yeah, you know there there is a lot there is a lot to. I mean, theologians, unfortunately, Christian theologians are going to dismiss this as a an actual geological event instead of God Himself being the causal event there. His presence there on the mountain being the causal event, not the geology erupting there, but him being there. So this happens, and they know this, and they are surprised that they are still alive. You know, this day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. But notice verse 25. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. Sounds like a cop out. We could go away. We don't want it. Should they have that mind? Why not? Why were they all gathered there in the first place? God had drawn them out of Egypt. God had delivered them. Well, that was the first thing he said. Yeah. Who called them to the mountain? Who told them to gather around the mountain? God did. Three days. Told them three days to prepare themselves and go back to Exodus chapter 19. God told them to prepare themselves and come because he was going to. And so they did. Okay. If God tells you to come and he's going to speak to the mountain, is he really going to destroy you? 
Is he really going to take you out of Egypt, redeem you, call you to be his people, prepare to give you his law, and then smudge you at the base of the mountain? But their eyes and their ears and their gut is getting in the way of everything that they are sensing. Verse 26, who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Moses. Who else? Uh, Joshua. Wasn't he near the top? Mm -hmm. I mean, he only went up so high, and then Moses went up later. Okay. Okay. I'm. I'm. I was actually going back to Jacob, but okay. Yeah. But. But again, why is there nobody else apart from these people? Because God didn't call another people to himself. He called Israel to himself. So who's ever heard of this? Well, nobody. Because he's doing something special with you. Doing something special with you here, people. So, you know, God's not going to, what did they miss? What did they miss? Well, the obvious, that God is calling them to himself. They don't have to be, they don't have to be fearful for their lives. Go ahead. I want to say that Moses is the one hearing God. And everybody else is hearing thunder and lightning fire and cloud. This is a loud voice. We have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. And sometimes that is hyperbole. I'm, the, I'm not going to take it that thunder. way. I've but got you, no... Yeah, no reason to take so it that, that way. The, the telephone effect, the, trans, the translation of those commandments trickling down through the heads, through the clans, through the families, and so all of that, as it keeps going down, again, the people think, oh, well, it's just another God, or maybe it's not a real God, and this is what they want us to do. And so the I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to assume that on the text. I can't assume that on the text. That is what the text says. I stand on the text there. And we are going to see next week especially the importance of declaring the word aright. And we're going to talk about it as far as Moses is concerned here as well. Um, and really that is the responsibility today. People, people will dismiss Christianity because of telephones. They will dismiss the authenticity of the texts because of telephone, saying that in the reiteration that the truth was lost and gets distorted. And that would be true if you're doing it with elementary school kids and you're going around the room. But it is not true when it comes to the lore of tribes. And it is not true when it comes to the transmission of the gospel. Because when there is a severity in the minds of those who do hold the text, when they transmit it to another, 
they are going to assure and ensure that the people who get the text next orally get it right through repetition, through writing it over and over, reciting it over and over again so that it doesn't get fumbled. And it has been shown historically that documents over centuries haven't changed, that they remain essentially the same, but for very minor deviations that way. So is God going to kill? Is God going to redeem them only to kill them? Certainly not. Um, but at the same time. Why did he manifest himself so magnificently and not merely as a lamb? Why did God manifest himself there so magnificently and not merely as a lamb? Okay. Can I be so bold to say it's who he is? He is magnificent. And he is terrible. In the Revelation, uh, the people who stand opposed are going to cry out against the wrath of the... Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. Bah. You know, <laughs> you go, what a... Because, because, and we're, we're going to see this, here I am indicting Israel for their, but God's going to come back here in just a few verses and go, they're right. They're right. Isaiah was right. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Who can, who can stand before the Lord and live? And this event is reiterated to us in Hebrews chapter 12. So go ahead and flip over to Hebrews chapter 12 here. Phil, would you read uh, 18, 18 to 21, please? Of Hebrews 12. For you have not come to what? 
may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Okay? Man, I mean, all the way through to the New Testament to the writers of Hebrews, as they look back, they understand that this was not a, a, a wimpy little event. This was an extraordinary, extraordinary event. This is God. Okay, uh, listen, 28 and 29, please. Of chapter 12. Our God is a consuming fire. Reverence and awe should be the response of the people toward God. And if, if, if we merely had 12, eight, you know, 18 through 21 and 28 to 29, we'd go, oh, man, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to come. But I cut, I cut out some verses in there. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. What is festal gathering? Celebration. Yes, festivities, festival. It's a party. Okay, innumerable angels ready for the party. And to the assembly, who, who's there? Okay, so let's, let's look at who's there. In the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to this celebration, verse 23, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Who is enrolled in heaven? Yeah. Is it only firstborn believers? So why? So we're referring to Christ when it says firstborn, the assembly of the firstborn. Okay. Notice he, he says to the assembly of the firstborn who are in heaven. And he's speaking to you have come. He's speaking to the people here. So the firstborn who have come are, I would contend, those who have gone ahead, who've already gone, who've already passed through the veil and are there. So they're there. And to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Okay? And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So there is, there is to be a celebration. There, we have come to this. We have come to this. This awaits us as well, those who are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. See that you do not refuse him. This is what he exhorts. For if they did not escape 
back then, when they refused him who warned them on earth, you know, here, here God has given them the commandment. And we're going to see his exhortation is to do and obey what he has commanded them. If they did not escape, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven? We who are in a gospel-declaring church, we are in a scary place. Because over and over and over and over again, you're going to hear the gospel message. And if you have a hard heart, you're going to go, man, I've heard this a thousand times. Because why? It means nothing to you. But for the saint who's heard it a thousand times, tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. It is that gospel message today that gives me hope for tomorrow, that, that points to the new Jerusalem and the festival gathering. Why? Because he died for me because I'm a wretch on my own. I'm wretched. In him only do I have hope. The moment I start to think things are going good, I go, no. No, even, even the good is, is by God's kind graces here in this world. It's not by the strength of my own legs. So, man, let our hearts not be hard to that message. How much, how much, if, he did, if they did not escape, I mean, they heard the voice on the mountain. You haven't. You didn't see, you didn't walk through the seas. You didn't see that. Some of them still in the, in, the next, in the next generation were alive and saw this as little kids. <laughs> Crazy. And saw gnats and frogs and boils and hail. Or at least the devastation left from it. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Yeah, they felt it. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet not, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Oh, this is our God. Who's going to do these things? But this is the God who has redeemed us and has prepared for us what no mind can even begin to fathom. So do not refuse to hear there. So back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you know, where is the revelation of their heart relationship? There's just this fear. You know, you don't, you don't see them going, oh, this is wonderful and terrible all at the same time. It's more just this fear that they have uh, toward God. You know, we, there's, there's a verse in Isaiah that gives light to this terrible, terrible 
awesomeness of God, but at the same time shows the sweet relationship that he has with his people. He says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. God dwells in the heavens and with you. If you have been humbled by his grace and his hand, that you might know and understand who he is. So they say, go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us. That the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear it and do it. We'll hear it and do it. You bet. Sure. Okay. So we want you to mediate for us. To stand between the awesomeness of God and us, because who can stand before God and live? Okay? So again, I've taken some swings at Israel, and now God's going to vindicate them. Uh, Caleb, would you read 28 and 29, please? Five? Uh, Yes, of Deuteronomy 5. Thank you. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all they have spoken. Hello. Go ahead. Oh, that they have such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and and with their descendants forever. Don't, Don't pass over the very first thing that God says there. God hears. God hears. <clears throat> Are they speaking to God? No. <laughs> They're speaking to Moses. Yeah. Go. God hears them. God hears his people. God hears his people. Does he desire your prayer? Does he desire you to speak to him? Yes. That is his desire, that you would come to him. Does he need your prayer? No, doesn't need you at all. But in his grace, he has created you to have relationship and fellowship with him. Come to me and talk to me. You don't even have to talk to Moses. I heard you. I hear your voice. You know, it's, it's like in, in your home. When, you know, I'm leaning up against the bar in the kitchen and one of the girls is saying, Hey, Mom, do you think Dad will... Right here. Don't you... You don't, you don't need to go through Mom to talk to me. I'm standing right here. Just 
Talk to me. Okay? Well, maybe he's all the way in the other room. Well, God's not that way. And, and God has opened the throne room of heaven that we can go directly to him. And he beckons us to come. He's not deaf. He hears. He hears our words. Great encouragement. And then, you know, I don't know. It was for me as I was reading through this. It's comical that God actually commends them, that they're right in all that they have spoken. Oh. <laughs> can I go back and go, oh, okay. In verse 29, notice, notice the heart of God here, though. What is, what is, how does verse 29 reveal God's heart for his people? I can tell that God is just because he says that uh, that they would always have a mind such as this but if they don't, I mean you kind of see that if they don't, then he is going to do what he needs to do as a parent you know we make rules for our kids and our desire is that they would obey the rules. I don't like the discipline. That's not... Well, I do like the discipline. You know, the, the, the fact that you are setting a rule is discipline for your children. That is good. But to, but to bring the consequences of failing to heed the verbal discipline is not any fun as a parent. Okay, that doesn't bring me joy. It will glorify the living God, and as such, it is good. But here, oh, that my people, oh, I mean, to hear the heart of God pour out, that he would love for them to obey and blessing to come, but oh, I will be just. I will be just. There will be consequence there. So it's not just about you, David? Not this David. No. <laughs> or any other. No. Yeah, none of you is an island unto yourself. That you would obey and follow after the living God, that ultimately you would be a blessing to your children and your children's children, to your friends and neighbors, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. What does God want of them? Oh, that they had a heart as this always to do what? In verse 29. To fear me. Okay, to fear me. That you would have reverence and awe for me. That you would be astounded and blown away by who I am. 
that you would bask in my glory. Why? Because I have revealed it to you. Here it is. Kaboom. Oh. This is our God. You know, they're real. Rather than go, whoa, this is the one who brought us out of Egypt. Oh, that the cheers would go up. Wow. Wow. Oh. And then as, as we look in the mirror and see our, our own sin, it's like, oh. Oh. But then when we think of his grace, where he lifts our head, he's the lifter of our head. I don't have to sit there, you know, flogging myself and sitting in sackcloth and ashes. He lifts my head. Why? Because I can't lift my own head. I don't have that authority. All that they would fear me. And to keep all of my commandments. keep all my commandments. Why? That it would go well. All that they would fear, all that they would obey, fear and obey, fear and obey, for there's no other way. Okay. <laughs> fear works. Yeah. We'll rewrite that. Um, but yeah, to, I mean, this is our God. He is our God. Fear, obedience, and blessing, that it may go well. Okay, so this is God's heart. And so God says, yep, that's what's going to happen. What they have asked, that is what will be. Uh, Jeremy, would you read uh, 30 to 33, please? Go and say to them, return to your tents. But you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Okay. So Moses' role is to be a mediator. God is going to speak to him, and he is going to speak to them. How serious is that responsibility? Big time. Okay. You messed something up, you just messed it all up. Okay, you did. What happens if the message gets gooned up from God to Moses? Oh, I got a bad memory, man. You know how long it takes me to memorize my script? God gave him the responsibility to do that. I don't think it's going to happen. He says even that God will give you the words to say. So at that moment, he's giving him the words to say. Even. Yeah. Jesus tells his disciples, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will remember all that I have said and done. Okay. God gives an enabling power when he wants his word brought 
exactly as it needs to be, especially when it comes directly from him through someone else to the people. Do we see this idea of this mediator anywhere else in Scripture? Jesus. Okay, Jesus. How about apart from Jesus? We'll, he'll, we'll use him as the, the, the end example. Okay, the apostles were there, the 12, the, the chief 12. And, and the, prophets. the prophets were. Who else? Can anybody go up to the mountain and just sacrifice themselves a bull? No, or, the or no? The priests were the mediators. You had to come. Who went into the holy place? The Our priests. Who went into the once holy of holies once a year? The one guy. One guy. For the entire nation, one guy. Well, I want to. Too bad. You will die to do that. Literally. Okay, so there is, there is a great, grave responsibility that Moses has. Now, what about, what about for preachers and teachers today? Are we supernaturally gifted to bring you exactly the word of God? No. Yes, yes and no. Depends. Maybe. Are there false teachers? Yes. Okay, then no would be the answer. No would be the answer because there are false teachers. Are we supernaturally? Yes. Everybody's got the, the Holy Spirit within them. Everybody, every believer is spiritually gifted. For what? Service in the church. For the church. For the edifying of the church. For the building up of the church that we may become complete. God has done this. God has purposed this. God has intended this. Does that mean that my teaching is going to be perfect and holy? No, that is why I am dependent upon the Holy Spirit. That's you people. Build with the Holy Spirit to hear with discernment and to hold me accountable and to hold him accountable to what is brought. You know, as you teach, you got little ones, okay? That's, I would say that's almost more dangerous because what little kid's going to hold you accountable? Uh... Miss Elaine, I don't think that's in Deuteronomy right there. I'm thinking you're kind of twisting that. And they, they're not going to say that. And so you almost have a greater weight there when you're teaching the little ones. So Moses has this responsibility, okay? And he's going to give them God's word. And we have it today here in the first five books here, the law. Verse 32, so now Moses is speaking to them. You shall be careful, therefore, to do. Do. Here it is. Okay, I'm doing, I'm doing. Okay, in, in chapter 6, verse 1, this is the commandment, the statute and the rules. Okay, but he's telling them in verse 32 of chapter 5, you do, do what the Lord has commanded you. Don't turn aside right or left. Walk in that way that you may live, that it may go well with you. 
He reiterates it in 6 verse 1, the second half of the verse. I'm telling you all that God has commanded you that you may do them. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be long. So do them. Fear the Lord. Hear, O Israel. And be careful. Okay, again, this will mitigate the problems of telephone. Be careful. If I care about how I behave and live my life toward God, I will be less apt to... to walk into sin, to be careful to do them. And again, God's desire is to lavish upon them that it may go well with you. That it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly God's good desire, that it would go well, that they would multiply greatly In the land he has promised them. He has promised them. Hey, I'm not going to smudge you in the desert. I've promised you this land. If you will follow and do this. A rich land. That they would live long. Flowing with milk and honey. And this has a history. I promise this to your fathers. I'm giving it to you. It's now. We are to the point of fulfillment now. So where does that leave us today? What do you know? What do you know of God and his word? What do you know? Next question. What will you do with that? What will you do with what you know? The third one's a little creepy. What are the implications if you ignore what you know? If you are a saint, you will be disciplined. If you are a saint, you will be disciplined. If you are a saint, you will be disciplined. If you are not a saint, what is the significance of ignoring what you know? Next week, we're going to start <coughs> just, we're going to go through from chapter, or from verse 4 here, all the way through the end of the chapter, just a really extraordinary section on the responsibility of parents 
and our role in preventing telephone problems. Okay. Preventing the problem of telephone in, in our families, in our churches, and ultimately consequences along with that. Any questions or comments?